today's sermon reading is the last chapter of the book of Daniel, chapter 12, um, from verse 1 to 13. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. What choose who sleep in the dust of the earth and will away. Some to everlasting love, others to shame and an everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who will lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, brought up, sealed the words of the scroll until the, end, until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and the day before me stood two others, one on one on this bank of the river, and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the rivers, above waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, and I heard him, I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time, when the powers of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel. Because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination that causes the desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way to the end. You will rest, and then the end, the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. I'll put a lot of the key verses up on the screen behind me as we work our way through the passage, but it would be good uh, to keep your Bible open, and uh, perhaps particularly for this sermon, because it's going to be a challenging one. Let me pray as we get into it. Dear Lord, as we come to your word today, I pray that I might speak to it faithfully, that together we might understand you better and shine like stars in the world. Amen. Over the last couple of years, Australia has gone through a lot. And so it began with bushfires. We're kind of used to bushfires, but uh, the bushfires we experienced in 2020 were just a whole different league, weren't they? And of course, now uh, we're dealing with floods. Uh, it's astounding to see some of the images that are coming out of uh, different townships. You know, when you see it, you know, when you drive past the sign at the top of the 
you know, at the top of the building, you know you're in trouble. And so all of this sort of heightens our fear of you know, climate change and what it means for the future. And for many, it has left us dest- or left them destitute in the present. And then we have the pandemic, which has created a genuine fear of death. But it's also changed the way that we interact with one another. We're kind of used to now sort of living and functioning with our own within our own sort of safe little bubble. And it almost feels a bit, you know, un- unusual, almost unwise uh, to step out and sort of re-engage with the world around us. And we can see it's good, but we just don't always feel that motivated to get out there and actually do it. And so all of this has had an impact on us personally, but I think it's also impacted us collectively as we think about what does it mean to be Christians who gather together and encourage one another and who seek to speak the good news of Jesus into our community here in Shelhada. And while I appreciate that our experience isn't anything close to what Israel are anticipating in this book of Daniel, there is some common ground in that sense of rebuilding after a period of enormous disruption. And so as we get to these last words in the book of Daniel, this last chapter, I'm actually only going to focus on a very few number of verses, probably only three or four. But I want to pick up three big themes. A time of distress a time of restoration, and then a time to shine. Uh, Which sounds far more sentimental than I would prefer it to sound, Um, but they're the words of the passage, so shining it is. But as we get into this passage, uh, the opening words of chapter 12 give us a sense of the context. You know, why did God inspire this book of Daniel? Where it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until now. So God has not abandoned his people. Uh, God has promised to protect those he loves, but Israel have endured a time of temptation and trial and tribulation as they have lived in exile. And there is a time coming when Israel will experience all of this again. They're going to be bitterly tested. And so the book of Daniel shows what it looks like to live as faithful people in hard times. And so we saw it in chapter 1 as Daniel refuses to eat the food from the king's table. He'd be a faithful servant to the king, but his allegiance was to God and he refused to be seduced by the, the flattery of Babylon. Uh, in chapter 3, you saw what honour looks like when someone tries to force you to bow down and worship their idols and the idols of the age. And in chapter 6, we saw what honour looks like when someone says you cannot worship your God. And so all of these examples are there to embolden the people who uh, were in exile and lived in the time of Daniel, but it also prepares a future generation. And most likely, uh, and very specifically, the persecution they'll face under an emperor by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes in about 170 BC. So the time period from the last prophet in the Old Testament to Jesus is about 400 years. And in that time, uh, there is not a single prophet who comes and speaks 
on behalf of God, including that time of persecution under Antiochus. But God, in his grace and his mercy, does prepare them for that future event. And we, he prepares them in the words like here in the book of Daniel. And at the end of that period of persecution, there'll be a time of restoration and there'll be a time of vindication. So verse 2, But at that time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, this is where Daniel gets a little bit complicated for us and probably gets a little bit complicated for me uh, because most people read this as one of the great, perhaps even the great, resurrection passages of the Old Testament. And certainly that is the way I have always read it. That This is a description that sort of aligns with the description we might, when we do read, in the book of Revelation. And so Revelation 20 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And so as you read those two verses, the parallels are pretty obvious, aren't they? We've got this idea of a book, we've got this idea of eternal judgment, and, and people standing either with God or standing against God. And certainly for us, we read it through the lens of the New Testament. You know, we're sitting here after Jesus reading these words. For me, the difficulty comes, the more time I've spent in this passage, the difficulty comes in these words, or in the words, at that time. Uh, because those words locate these events in the period of persecution under Antiochus. And even though this passage is talking about the times at the end, very difficult to know what times he's talking about. Is he talking about the times of the end of persecution, or is he talking about the end of literally all things? So in all of my wrestling with this passage, I've ended up with the, the minority position uh, that it's actually talking about this time at the end of Antiochus. And it's more metaphoric than literal. But if you think I'm at a, you know, heretic at this particular moment, stay with me and we'll see where we go. So if they're describing events uh, after this period of persecution, then he's talking about you know, restoration as a nation and spiritual restoration and then ultimately restoration of Israel in the land. And after this period of restoration, there's going to be some who, in the language of this passage, rise to everlasting honour and others to everlasting shame. Uh, but I think that language is poetic rather than literal. Uh, it's the sort of honour that a soldier would receive returning from war. So it stays with them for their life and it becomes their legacy. Uh, equally, at the end of the war, uh, for those who collaborated with the enemy, uh, they're stained with an everlasting shame. And so this next image was taken uh, in Paris at the end of World War II, where the collaborators were shamed by having their heads shaved. Uh, now, I appreciate that that is a less uh, popular interpretation. It's certainly not unique, and it is consistent with other passages. So stay with me. Uh, so, for example, in Psalm 22, David uses the language of dust and death to describe his absolute despair at the hands of his enemies. He says, My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, 
and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You laid me in the dust of death. Now, Psalm 44 uses similar language, but this time it's describing the whole nation of Israel. We are brought down to the dust, our bodies clinging to the ground. Rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. And then perhaps most insightful is Ezekiel 37. This is what the Lord, the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. Uh, So the book of Ezekiel is written in the same period as Daniel. It uses very similar death, death to life type of language. But he's describing there the spiritual destitution of Israel and then their restoration. Uh, All of that said, uh, the Old Testament still looks forward to a heavenly resurrection. So in fact, the very last verses of the whole book of Daniel are looking forward to an eternal resurrection. So he says, as for you, talking to Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So the language of verse 2 is metaphoric. It doesn't actually change the big picture message of the Bible. And that reading is certainly consistent with how we read Old Testament prophecy. Uh, So we see God's promises partly fulfilled in Israel. Uh, We see them then truly fulfilled in Jesus. And we see them ultimately and completely fulfilled when Jesus comes again. And we see that pattern over and over again in Old Testament prophecy. And then in the New Testament, we see that journey where the language of Israel is then used to describe people from every nation and every land who recognise the Lordship of Jesus. So in the words of Paul, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. And then the language of Israel becomes the language of God's people. So, Apostle Peter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then, as we know, the land that they were looking forward to in the Old Testament becomes ultimately fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. And so the vindication and the condemnation that's described in Daniel metaphorically becomes a literal future reality for all of humanity. And so John, Jesus says in the book of John, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So this is no longer about honour and shame in this life. It's about what happens for all of us when we stand before our Creator and our Judge and are held to account. So if Daniel is is speaking metaphorically, then Jesus, uh, make no mistake, uh, is speaking literally. And so we have two choices as we prepare to stand before God. You know, we can turn away uh, from our sinful attitudes of thinking and thinking that we're the masters of our own destiny and we can embrace the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, If we do that, then Jesus steps in as our substitute. He stands in our place and pays the price for our sin. Uh, The other option is to stand on our own before God 
And if we do that, then we're aligning ourselves in this passage with the language of the wicked. We are unrepresented and we are unapologetic. Now, we might feel uh, that we are entitled to God's mercy, or we might feel uh, that we are good people and we deserve good things. But ultimately, God is God, and we can only ever come before God on his terms. And he calls us to come in in terms of relationship and not just behaviour. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, walking past a wedding. Yeah, you walk past this wedding and you think, wow, that looks like an absolutely awesome reception. I think I'll go to that. And so you turn up and they say, well, what's your name? And you're on the list. And you say, no, I'm not on the list. Okay, um, well, do you know the bride and groom? No, no, but this just looks awesome. Now, if you, if you took that approach to a wedding, uh, you wouldn't be surprised at that point if you got rejected. Imagine then saying, well, I don't know them, but I'm a really fantastic person. Like, I give to charity and everything. You know, they would look at you just as if you are completely insane. Uh, Because it's about relationships, isn't it? Weddings are about relationships. And it's the same with us before God. Uh, Absolutely, obedience is part of relationships. And we're called as Christians to obey God's commands. But it starts with relationship. And that relationship is made possible through what Jesus has done on the cross. So, so far we've covered pretty much the entire Bible... Uh, but only two verses in this chapter. And we've got really one big theme to go, and that is a time to shine. So working on that understanding that Daniel is talking about life after this this period of persecution, then verse 3 is an encouragement to those who are wise to be people of influence. Otherwise, are those who take to heart the words of the psalm. So, for example, Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Now, last week, uh, Daniel identified two groups of people with the wise and the wicked. Uh, Those who fear the Lord and those who turned their back on the Lord and wanted to embrace uh, the Greek culture and the Greek gods. Uh, But even amongst that group of the wise, uh, there were the wise who would stand firm and there were the wise who would stumble and would then be restored. And so last week I focused uh, far more on those who stumbled and would be restored and we looked at the the grace of God and God's mercy. Uh, Today I want to focus on those who, in the language of our passage, shine like the brightness of heaven, like the stars forever and ever. Because in the aftermath of this terrible persecution, uh, they are going to stand out as beacons of hope and they're going to lead people to righteousness. So Paul picks up a similar idea in our passage that we read in Philippians. Uh, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine amongst them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, some of that shining comes from people observing how we live. Are we known to be people of good character? Are we honest in our work? Uh, Even perhaps frustratingly honest uh, for those around us. Uh, Do people see us shining like stars in the way that we speak? Uh, in the way that we speak about our boss or our husband or our wife or the way we speak about our friendships? Uh, do they see it in our life 
choices. You know, where we spend our money and how we spend our time. And so some of those things are simply what people observe of us. Uh, but some of those things are also what we have to say to the world as we talk about our hope in Christ, as we encourage them to consider their hope uh, and where they stand before God. Now, I was talking uh, to a couple of guys uh, recently, uh, two separate conversations, but they were saying how, as you know, the Christians at work and how often the guys at work you know, take the mickey out of them for being Christians. But they also then just talked about how when things go wrong for these guys, how they're the ones they often come to for a chat. I was talking to uh, another guy, uh, and he was talking about standing up uh, for a client uh, in his business. And uh, he, for him, it was a matter of Christian integrity. He wanted his yes to be yes and his no to be no. Uh, but that meant it put him in conflict with his boss. And you can imagine how his boss appreciates that. But it stands out as different, doesn't it, to the world around us. Uh, my favourite uh, this week, I was chatting to a lady who has befriended a homeless, a younger homeless lady who lives nearby. And so she often walks past her and they chat and they've got into various conversations. And there's a couple of lovely things that, that's come out of it. One was that how other people in this community, not necessarily Christians, have been helping this lady out. And so someone does the washing and someone's given her a phone and they take the phone and they charge it. And there's all sorts of good things going on. But out of these conversations came an opportunity to invite this lady to church. And so they're going to go to church together this evening. Uh, and even better still, I think she was the second person to invite this lady to church. And it's not just wonderful how these, these Christians are just getting to know people around them. Now, none of those things are big and dramatic, but they may well be the things that God chooses to use to help that person come to a point of recognising the Lordship of his Son and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that's on offer. If you don't know where to start with any of this, then can I just encourage you to start with simply letting people know that you are a Christian. And however you slip that into your conversation. And I think step two is make sure that our words and our actions are actually consistent with the fact that we've just said we're a Christian. Because if nothing else, they see you're a Christian and they're observing you and watching you. And what we're praying for is as they observe us, uh, that they will see the difference the gospel has made in our life. They'll see how Jesus really changes who we are. And that might invite all sorts of other conversations. Now, so far, all of these examples have been about living as Christians in the world. But just as significant for Daniel is how do these Christians, or how do these sort of God-honouring people, so not Christians, but how do these people who honour God shine like stars within the community of God's people? You know, it's, it's that opportunity to love one another as people who follow for us, as people who are Christians, who follow Christ. And again, can I say it's often some of the simplest things. And as we gather together each week, even before you say a single word to anyone else, simply gathering together is encouraging, isn't it? Uh, that here is something we value and that we value one another and that we value coming together. You can praise God at home by yourself. But God has given us this wonderful privilege 
of gathering together as his people to encourage one another. And so as you know, the most basic thing, again, I encourage you to be simply committed. Uh, but it also provides other opportunities, provides opportunities that if you, I can be confident that if I invite a friend this week that other people are going to be there to welcome them, then that helps me uh, to stand up and be a Christian in our community. Uh, if we're committed to one another, if we can give each other confidence, then that helps. And it's not always easy uh, to get to know 100 people at a time, and that is a bit overwhelming. Uh, but things like connect groups uh, allow us to get to know a smaller group of people uh, and to be able to get, gather together and to really get to know them. As, as we get to know them, of course, they start to impact us. And then equally, uh, we start to have a positive impact on them. You know, those things are not big, they're not dramatic. They're not even a huge change of how you spend your time. But it's just simply how do we make the most of every opportunity. You know, the fall of Israel and the exile uh, was a period of enormous temptation and trial and tribulation. And Israel will face it again under Antiochus. But even that persecution isn't going to be the end of it, is it? You know, we know as we now stand you know, a long way into the future that we live in a broken world. Lots of good things. Uh, but lots of hardship. And all the way through history, including today, we see the challenge of standing up for Christ in the world. Uh, for some who, you know, in our video, who are living in northern Nigeria, that comes at a real life and death cost. Uh, but even for us, it can feel daunting to stand up in our culture and be different. And so we need to have a clear perspective about who we are in Christ and what we stand for. Because we don't know God's timing for things, and certainly as we've read the book of Daniel, uh, that timing hasn't been made any easier. Uh, we know that God will work out all things for the good of those who love him, according to his timing. Uh, we do know that there are going to be hard times. Uh, we know that even in our weakness, uh, God is there ready to forgive and restore and we know that we have a part to play as we shine like stars in the world. So to pick up uh, the big themes of Daniel, don't give up. God is in control and God wins. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word. And even though it's not always easy to understand, uh, we thank you that you have been clear to us about how we should live. And we're thankful uh, for your son that you gather us together uh, through his death and resurrection and your grace. And so we pray that we might shine like stars in the world. Amen.